Welcome to the Me, My Thoughts, and Eyes podcast, the podcast that's a collection of random thoughts from a scatterbrain. I am your host, Jenks. Listener discretion may be advised. Hey, I made it to episode 10. It's a milestone. And in honor of that, I'm going to sprinkle throughout this episode my top 10 feelings in the world. In no particular order, go ahead and give you number 10. When Bojangles mess around and give you more chicken than you ordered. Whew. Jesus. Top feeling number nine. When you discover like some new dope music or some new dope podcast and podcast. It's like, love it. Reason number 137-B, why men are trash. Cats are really out here fat shaming women. When they fatter than the women, they fat shaming. Houseway. Like, for real, and, and, and don't get me wrong, no matter if it's coming from or directed to men or women, fat shaming is wrong. And, you know, I've been putting it down for the husky cats for a minute, so, like, I understand, like, it hurts, you know? But let's not act like we don't live in a society where the standards of beauty uh, are more harmful and directed towards women way more than they are men. Dudes who are a solid two on a good, they have the audacity to sit here and try to talk down on women and they looks and body shame them. It's ridiculous. And then on top of that, like, I know, I know cats that are even pre-fat shame women. Like, how does that work? they sitting there and be like, oh, yeah, she fine. She kind of thick, but she look like she about a biscuit away from being obese. And I'm like, bro, you like a whole basket of biscuits in. So what? Like, how you sitting here and and pre-shaming her what how does that work Cass is really out here just fast shaming women when they look like a big toe with gout top feeling number eight getting a fresh cut you just feel so crispy top feeling number seven actually being productive and completing a checklist for the day beautiful so i finally did it y'all was finally able to delete all the memes and gifts I've been hoarding on my phone. And yes, it's gifts, gifts, not no gifs. It's gifts, like gif without the T. But anyway, I I got rid of them. Like I finally was just like, let me get rid of these joints. And my phone feels so much lighter. Um, Because that's a lot of what I've been doing lately. I've been trying to get rid of sort of this digital baggage, you know, this digital clutter that has been cluttering my mind. Um, you know, with so getting rid of because with memes and stuff like that, it could be like I'm just trying to respond to a text or uh, a tweet or something like that it would be two minutes, not two minutes. It'd be like two seconds. But I turn into 20 minutes trying to find the right meme because I'm just going through all my hundreds of memes like, oh, I know I got something for this. So I was like, nah, let me just scrub my phone of all this. Then I've also been sort of light unplugging. So not necessarily going a whole day or a week or whatever without technology because I know it's hard with our society and work and stuff we have to do but maybe just spending like an hour or some time just you know put the phone on mute you know, keep the computer and tv off just kind of chill in the crib or go take a walk which often when I take walks I listen to podcasts or music but then it's like you know sometimes give your ear a rest so just really just go out there and, and hear nature a little bit or whatever yeah so that helps. And, and also just I mean, getting rid of notifications, too, man. They pop up way too much on my phone for nothing. 
all right, you know, they keep me on my phone way more than I intend because I'll be like, all right, I'm trying not to check my phone. I'm going to set it over here. Then, boom, a notification pop up and it don't be about nothing. But now I done opened up my phone and I done find myself scrolling for like 30 minutes. Like, and it always happens once soon as I go to bed, like something to pop up. And sometimes it'll be, you know, somebody legit texting me or whatever, but it's rare. Most of the time it's, I don't know, some random Samsung notification or a YouTube recommendation that I'm like, yo, I'm not stop. Like just if I log in and I see the recommended list, that's cool. But like, stop sending me actual tech, uh, not text, but you know, notification bells about this and, and emails, man, I've been unsubscribing from a lot of list servers. I'm like, look, I ain't, I ain't in that state no more. I ain't in the industry no more. Like, yeah, stop sending me stuff. I don't care. It's been real beneficial, y'all. I've been feeling a lot better. And as as more random stuff comes up that I'm like, I don't like, like I don't need this. I'm going to keep unsubscribing. So, yeah, so that's just my two cents on a way to kind of get rid of uh, some little extra stressors that we might not realize is stressing us. You know, just my two cents. Do with it what you will. Top feeling number six. When you pull a bad one's number. Woo. Top feeling six B. When that bad one. Actually got a dope personality on them. Top feeling number five. When your joint come on and you able to spit all the lyrics perfectly. Talking about a flawless victory. So something I've been thinking about a lot lately is this um, the idea of commodifying black culture. ain't even the idea is practice, right? Because it happened. So we've been doing a lot of readings and, and it kind of came up. So in w- one reading, we were doing this text that has a lot of theories. They, they spoke about commodifying culture and the negatives of it and sort of the main example that they use, which is kind of like the main example that most people probably think about is hip hop and, and how that culture has been commodified. Cause you know, black culture is popular culture. Um, and in my response essay to it, I was writing, I just kind of, I was thinking, I was like, dang. You know what? Gentrification is kind of like commodifying black culture, too, because how much do you hear like when white people move into these black or brown spaces and, you know, they're like, oh, it's so cultured. You know, it's like watching the show called Caribbean Life with no black people on it. But these white people are like, oh, this blood area is cultured. Like, you know, that's something they always say. It's like I think I said something like uh, you keep the biggie murals up, but you kick his kids out. And, and then funny enough, so anyway, after that, like the next, turned out our next week assignment, uh, reading assignments was from, uh, Dr. Brandy Thompson Summers. And just on that, cause that's a lot of what she talks about. So we had two readings. Um, one is called 8th Street, Main Street, and the Neoliberal Aesthetics of Cool. And the other is Race as an Aesthetic, the Politics of Vision, Visibility, and Visuality in Vogue Italia's A Black Issue. And the time thing to these, because you would think, oh, gentrification and fashion, what do they have to do with each other? But the time factor is it's, it's talking about commodifying culture. Um, so the first one on, on A Street is about gentrification of A Street here in D.C. Um, and the second one is talking about uh, early 2000s. Um, there you go. Actually, um, 2008, July 2008, Vogue Italia released this issue. Uh, called a black issue, which featured, you know, all black models, all black everything, black. Well, I don't know about behind the scenes. I can't remember if photographers and writers were black, but it, it definitely had like black center. It was a black center issue and it sold like crazy. You know, 
people bought it up. I think it was like the only issue that they had to actually make a reprints of. Um, but then it's, it's like you have that and that's it. <laughs> it don't, you know, it doesn't really change anything. Cause right after that, it goes back to business as usual, just white people. And so there's, there's a lot of ways dissected and, and, and Dr. Summers, who, who is a, if I didn't say earlier, she is a professor of African American studies at VCU. Um, and she does a lot of work around both these issues and some other things as well. But she came and spoke to us about it and in more detail because these kind of tie into her dissertation and um, a book. I believe she is the writing that's about to come out. Um, so definitely check her out. So that's Brandy Thompson Summers at VCU. I should probably link to her web page if I can get that um, in the show notes. But yeah, so just these the same concept and ideas that. I was talking about earlier and thinking about she goes into, of course, much better detail about it. And and so it's just this idea of, you know, too much black is threatening, but just a, a sprinkle is, you know, marketable. And and so that's how it works with if you're looking at the fashion industry, because it's like, oh, you have one issue of black because it sells like crazy. Then it's like, that's it. Y'all might get another one. 10 years later, which I guess technically we did because Beyonce and Rihanna, I think that was vote. And same thing with goes down with gentrification, which is a whole lot of other issues around gentrification that just, you know, bore me. But specifically thinking of the commodification of it is that, you know, that's that's a marketable piece of it, that trendy hipsters or whatever. That's that's something that makes people feel good about the area they're staying in. They're like, oh, I'm in this mixed area. I'm in this diverse area, which is a good thing. Um, but you know, you, no one is thinking about the repercussions of, well, this was an all black area and now it's a minority black area and it's dwindling population. And you know, where are people going as you've been kicking them out? Um, and so she goes into a lot more details too, as far as the history of eight street and everything, but in, in thinking still about just this commodification and culture of black bodies. Now I'm just kind of looking a little more critically at different things. I mean, that's something that I think I've been kind of thinking about a little bit in other, I mean, I'm sure other people too. Well, I know other people that I talk to too, but cause it's sometimes where we see stuff and it's like, Oh, that's black, but we never really like question who's behind it. Right. We just like, Oh, that's for us. That's black. And we just give our money to it, but we're not making no money off of it. Cause as black people, we are, a very dominant economical force. And on top of that, because one, by our spending and two, by the fact that we move culture, right? You know what I'm saying? Like we are so innovative and dope and we, you know what I'm saying? Like we create so much stuff that then gets taken and co-opted by other people, particularly white people. And they profit off of it. And we're not seeing it. Like, we still poor. You know what I'm saying? They profiting off our backs still. And so I kind of started thinking about it again with, um, so recently I had the pleasure of getting to see Angela Davis speak here at, um, Bus Boys and Poets, one of their locations, which is dope. Um, so I love DC because just these opportunities, right? But, um, so, Think back to a, a conversation I had with some friends a couple of months ago who've been up here for a long time and 
we were talking about different, I guess, black owned businesses and some other stuff. I can't remember exactly the conversation, but I did bring up Bus Boys and Poets because I'd never been before. So this event was my first time. But I, as many times I've been up to D.C., like I prior to moving and and I just I knew about it, like I, it has a name to it. Right. And, you know, I thought it was black owned. It seems like a very black space from what I hear. And they was like, nah, people think it is, but it's not. And so I went with a classmate and then uh, a homegirl of mine was actually there. I ran into. So we were together and, um, you know, I think they definitely I think my classmate and she goes there like she's like, oh, I hang out there um, a lot and study and stuff. But she didn't realize it wasn't black owned either. Like, I, I don't think a lot of people do. It's the owner is an Iraqi American. Um, his name is Andy Shalal. And, and so you just think about it. It's like, dang, is he commodifying our culture? You know, um, now he is an activist, so I'm not really trying to pick on him or 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 call him out for anything, because, I mean, he is an activist. Um, he's been rooted, a bit of philanthropist from what I could tell. So, you know, he he might he might not intentionally be, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to make something that's black and make money off of it because I know they'll flock to it. It's like, he might legit be about this. You know what I'm saying? I think he is. Um, from what I can tell. And, and then also thinking funny enough about, um, another reading we're doing in class, critical race theory, which essentially is, um, a theory that developed in the seventies, um, by in the legal spirit. So lawyers and legal scholars and activists in, in terms of like pushing forward social movements and, and, coming together and, and coming up with different theories and, and ways to push forward the movement. Right. And so what we were talking about too, is because you had this critical race theory that started out as a black thing, which and, and it's a pretty big deal, critical race theory. And, but then it kind of went off into offshoots, like other cultures or whatever started kind of using it. And that's not a bad thing. That's no shade, but just think about again, like how that happens so much you know with everything we do like we create something and then you know we're kind of like the movers like when it comes to civil rights and everything we we do all this groundwork and i saying other people don't do work because they do that's not what i'm saying but it's like we do a lot of work that benefits others and that's love right we do it so really just what i'm thinking about with that is i mean it makes sense that if he's really an activist and he was you know doing this coming up in like the 70s or whatever it makes sense that if you are activists, period, pretty much most of what you um, pull it from, like your techniques and and um, your theories or whatever, like whatever realm you are within this, like it makes a whole lot of sense that you are heavily inspired and and pulling from black people because we've been doing this and we do this, you know. So it would make sense that if this is what this guy is, that's you know, part of his life legit. And so that's, this is kind of his way of giving back. And I'm sure maybe with profits, I mean, he's obviously making a space for us um, because they do all kind of events like this and uh, spoken word and all that. So clearly one way is that he's, you know, he's not just creating this space to be like, Oh, it's black, but it ain't for black people. Like it's no, it's definitely for us. It's definitely meant to, I think be a space to, I think what it says, inspire social change. And I don't know what he does with like 
money wise and giving back to communities and different initiatives. I'm I'm giving a benefit of doubt and say he does that as well. But I mean, just just exposing it is a spot that was in Raleigh who name I cannot remember right now. So I should call them out, but I just don't remember their name. Um, and, and my boy went one time and it was like, Oh, yo, this, this spot I found is dope. They play just all hip hop music. And you know what I'm saying? It's black folks there. Cause it'd be hard to find us a space for us in, in, in the RDU man, um, or the triangle, whatever you want, whichever one you want to use for Raleigh Durham, Chapel Hill. And so he was like, yo, let's go. So it turned out though, when he went, it just happened to be like an event that had a lot of black people there typically because we went a good bit of times there and um yeah they played rap music but it definitely was not a space for us because when we rolled up in there and it's like all the white people it's like record scratch they're like heck y'all doing up in here you know so you know you see that a lot so i don't get that vibe that's not the same um thing i get from bus boys and poets but it makes you think um you know, we should probably or not probably we should definitely uh, look with a little more critical eye at things that are being marketed to us. And, you know, sort of ensuring that this is not somebody else co-opting our culture for profit. That's not us. Um, as well as we should also kind of interrogate a little more when other people are using our culture and selling it to other people. I don't really know how you go about that. Um, I mean, Black Twitter calls it out. A lot, um, but there probably should be some more actionable steps after that. Mm, i.e. like with the easy example to pick on Kardashians and I mean, black women culture just gets, you know, is ridiculous how how often black women are vilified for uh, their aesthetics. But, you know, now white people take it and throw it in magazines and now oh it's hot culture and it's you know or kim kardashian pulls it off and it's it's a look now and you know it's something that has some kind of credence to it but but that's another issue well same issue but that's a whole nother podcast to go into deeper with that but yeah i just kind of wanted to get that thought out there it's just um how commodifying our culture and how it exists on many levels from rap and to gentrification fashion and is everywhere and it's depressing but it's also motivating to get out here and find ways to combat the uh stripping and profiting off of our culture so let's get out here and fight y'all Top feeling number four. When you hear this for the first time in a long time. Yes, who's been sacked? Still smell the blow on my clothes like Krispy Kreme. I was cooking the morning. Like horseshoes, I was talking. 4B, when you ain't heard this in a long time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook you with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need y'all to brawl. Top feeling number three. Crushing a tough workout. You feeling like a champ. Top feeling number two. That first cool, crisp, sunny day of fall. Summer heat is overrated, B. 
just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge how much I just love the fall weather. It's so cold, man. I'm out here just enjoying a beautiful, nice walk. It's sunny, but I ain't sweating. Like just a couple weeks ago, your boy would have had to change shirts like four times already by this point in the day. Like, it's just, it's great. And my number one top feeling in the world is when you finally come to terms with who you are and learn to love yourself. It's a beautiful thing, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Me, My Thoughts, and Eyes podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Please follow my blog at Me, My Thoughts, and Eyes. That's I spelled E-Y-E-S dot WordPress dot com. Follow me on Twitter at Thoughts and Eyes. Once again, E-Y-E-S and spelled out. Feel free to let me know of any feedback or criticisms that you may have. Once again, thank you and be blessed.